Everyone in Toronto is hearing the air show, is what it sounds like, and so might some of our listeners today. It's true. Oh, that was great for me. Yes, likewise. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the Urgy Podcast. I'm Jacob Zimmer. And I'm Vicky Storage. Uh, and and we are both dramaturgically inclined. Uh, I, lo- I love how we do this like little radio bit at the beginning that we've never yeah, talked yeah. about. <laughs> we're both radio, uh, we're radio inclined uh, and dramaturgically inclined. Um, I, I'm in Toronto and run a company called Smallwood and Shoe and work with the Band Center. And Vicky, you're, you're in Calgary. Even yeah, I'm today. in Calgary. Even, yes, uh, a rainy day in Calgary today. Uh, I'm in Calgary. I'm the executive director of Alberta Theatre Projects um, and, uh, and also, you know, in volunteer positions at different organizations like Literary Managers and Dramaturgs of the Americas and the Professional Association of Canadian Theatres and a couple of other places. I was just wondering, at what, is there a point at which, dramaturgically, uh, we should stop doing, we stop introducing ourselves? I wonder, too. It's a, it's a good question. We should consider it and yeah. um, perhaps come up with a plan of uh, plan of action for the next podcast. It's always interesting to discover that moment of assumption yeah. when you have assumed that somebody knows somebody else, or yeah. you've assumed that somebody even knows you, for that matter. Uh, it was funny. A, a couple weeks ago, we had um, our Betty Mitchell Theater Awards here oh, in Calgary, yeah. yep. and. You know, I mean, it's a theater awards, right? Like most of us in the room know each other, and um, and I had to, uh, myself and my colleague Vanessa Porches, who's artistic director at ATP, had to go um, up to receive an award, um, and we, you know, the award was for something that oh. ATP had mm. produced, yeah. and so we got up there and we accepted the award. But of course, we didn't introduce ourselves, and nobody introduced us as who we were speaking on behalf of ATP. We just started talking, and what was funny was, of course, nobody really thought much about it except um, one of our staff members had brought her new uh, fiance, and he was he was super into it. He was uh, he he had this amazing whistling, like he can whistle really well, and so he was doing these like amazing like uh, loud loud whistles whenever yeah. we won something. So we was he was good to have in our corner. Um, but he, uh, he was like, at the end of it, I said, Oh, how did you find the awards, man? And he said, good, good. And he said, you know, I, uh, if I didn't already know who you guys were, I would have really been curious. And I went, Oh yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I, you know, it would never, would never occur to me to introduce myself in that context, Mm -hmm. but not every single person sitting in that audience knows who the heck I am. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I'm, I'm so conscious of doing it other places, but it was just, I don't know. It was funny. It was like, so I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be conscious of it, but also, yeah, of course, there's a bit of repetition there where you're like, and also you don't want to start to get into, yeah, I'm Vicky Strong, who do this, whatever. Um, because that's not, it's not helpful either to be like, oh yeah. And I sort of do this thing anyway, whatever. This is, I'm going to go on autopilot and wonder about lunch. Uh, it's, it's Mm -hmm. such a, anyways doing conference work yeah and things there's always like just how do you start and how do you you go around the room and have everyone say their name and you know and then how how much can you deal with the like and an animal that you liked or you know what is your quote go-to question Mm -hmm. uh that everybody or 
you know, often I feel like rolling my eyes at that moment, but then I also completely understand its function. Mm-hmm. And its function sort of overrules my eye rolling. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm thinking of more interesting questions. Or... Yeah. I, I, I did a, I was in, in Vancouver doing this, um, a keynote speech at Emily Carr yes. University of Art and Design last weekend. And I was, um, I was invited out by the, by the university and um, a friend and former colleague of mine is uh, the VP enrollment and student services there. And, um, she, you know, of course I sent along my, they asked me to send along my bio and they asked me to send along a description of my, or a, a title. The title was really hard to come up with, but, um, the title for my presentation and I sent it off. And then my friend, uh, who was going to be introducing me, she, she, she was like, okay, uh, we need to talk about your bio. And I said, oh, okay, what's wrong with it? And she said, it's really short. And I said, yeah, well, what like and and so then we sat there and she was like didn't you do this and didn't you do that and I'm like yeah and she said why isn't it in your bio and I said well because I'm used to putting my bio in a theater program and only having 250 words yeah um and, but of course you know the introduction of a of a keynote speaker at an event um you know you can add a bit more and as a matter of fact with a bunch of people who don't know you and know why they should be sitting and listening to you for you know 30 minutes it's valuable to put as much interest, interesting stuff in as possible. So it was funny to sort of sit there and have her go, aren't you this? Don't you do this? And me go, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess that, yeah, that sounds impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I just don't, don't think about, I don't think on a regular basis about how to, um, how to position myself. And so it was a really interesting thing. And also to kind of um, have all of my, have all of the stuff that I have done. Um, which I guess is, is you know, uh, all built up to what I would call a career, um, to to have it sort of laid out like that, and to and to have somebody say it before I get up and and speak, and and that was an interesting experience too, was to to kind of go, oh yeah, I'm more than just 250 words in a bio, mm-hmm. um, but you know whether it's because because I'm used to being as succinct as possible, or whether it's because I have you know whatever sort of weird um, power and status issues that dramaturgs come with, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that I was like, oh, I mean, I don't know. Is that interesting? Is that, do you think that, should we really be mentioning that? Oh, I guess that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Like, it was really funny to have that kind of, um, have that kind of conversation about, you know, myself, yeah. um, in order to set me up for the, for what, what, what ended up being a, uh, a speech that was like 24 minutes long and that all of those things contributed to how people received my speech. But I wasn't, you know, I just didn't really think too much about that. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad she called me on yeah. that. She called me on that. I'm really glad she called me on that. And I asked her too. I said, could you just send me the bio, that bio, that extended bio so I can use it somewhere else, please? Yeah. I mean, that thing of what, what, in what context, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the I just I have a running text file on my computer that is my bio mm-hmm. and all of the collected variations because I you know rarely send one. I love doing. I really love hosting, moderating panel discussions. Mm. Yeah. Um. I really or, or doing interviews and stuff like that. Um, and part of it's because I feel like I can bring in. 
I can bring in different pieces outside of the bio of the person's experience um, or my experience of the person um, to form the question. And so I get a chance to do some of that um, storytelling that leads to a question. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's interesting to think about the many different ways that we um, uh, set the right, um, set, set people up to listen. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, set people up to listen because what you're essentially doing when in those moments is creating the right um, atmosphere, the right environment for people to receive something. And, um, and it may seem like rattling off a bio to some people, but it's actually, it's actually, it's, it's really, it's setting, it's setting up the tone and it's setting up an entire environment where people are going to hear something for a while and making sure that they're engaged in advance of the, of the person they have to listen to even getting up there. It's no small feat, I don't think. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and, and and I think needs to be thought about more. I wish it were thought about more in the theater, just to say that out loud. That mm-hmm. that what are the conditions for something exciting to emerge? Right, even if it's we don't know what or how it is, but mm-hmm. but what does the play? You know, what does the show need just before? Yeah, and that's been a thing that. I've been obsessed with for for quite a while, and I, and it then is becomes part of the work that I do in designing conferences or designing meetings is the same thing. Like, how what are the conditions? We don't know what's going to happen, but we can talk about the conditions that will best lead to the most interesting things mm-hmm. or the most interesting surprises. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always interesting to me too when um, I'm in a large group of people and there's some sort of you know like everyone's in a circle maybe or something like that and the 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 whoever the organizers are have made a conscious decision and I think it's absolutely always the right conscious decision to actually hand the moderation of it or uh, or the the facilitation of it over to a member of the group who's younger. Hmm. And I always am curious about how they approach it because they're usually in a different position of having, you know, maybe not having, feeling like they've had the same conversation over and over again um, or whatever, uh, whatever, they're, whatever they're bringing to it. But it's always funny to me because always, I've always found that there's at some point, and, and I in my, you know, advanced age, um, my, in my advanced age, I sometimes fight the desire to redirect or fight the this sort of impulse to um, help the person focus the conversation when right. I don't feel like it's focused. But I'll always sort of sort of um, find it, tr- like try to figure out how to do it in a, in a way that isn't um, or not do it at all. Like I think to myself, what am I really going to gain? What am I actually going to gain from redirecting this conversation? And if it actually feels like there's something to be gained for myself or the entire group, I'll think about you know if I need to or how. But inevitably, somebody else does it. Mm-hmm. Um, some other person who's been in a lot of these conversations or whatever will just sort of take the conversation over. And I, I, I'm, always, I'm always surprised by that. Uh, I'm, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised anymore. It's happened enough, God. <laughs> and, I'm, and, if I'm, and if I'm somebody who's going, mm, I don't know, I mean, is it worth it to, no, nah, well, you know, I'm going to leave it. Uh, if I'm having that conversation, clearly other people are having that conversation. Yeah. Um, and, but how to do it in a way that is, 
um, respectful and and um, supports what is already being facilitated, yeah. as opposed to just hijacking it, is something that I, I'm really really I'm curious about too. Whenever we get into a group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't do we don't do facilitation training. I you know the the for the amount of quote unquote facilitation or not even quote unquote informal facilitation, yeah. formal and informal facilitation that we do. We don't have any framework for doing it. No. The no. frameworks that become sort of, you know, the Liz Lerman stuff mm-hmm. isn't particularly attached to any of the research on this group facilitation. <laughs> uh, and so share some element, you know, borrow some things, but it's not, you know, the, the work that the AIDS Committee of Toronto did training me to do support group stuff. I did 20 weeks of training mm-hmm. of a three-hour session a week with, like, role plays and here's our framework for this and here's why you might try this trick and, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, those are complicated and a certain kind of, you're doing peer support things and so it's process-based. But there's mm-hmm. there's just not that training. I mean, that training made me so much better at being in those rooms yeah but, yeah and I you know I always feel like I'm a bit of a backseat meeting chair mm-hmm. um and I really I have to and I will make I will make decisions I'll make decisions about whether it's worth it for me to step in or whether it isn't worth it yeah and sometimes it is like sometimes it absolutely is and I try to do it as respectfully as possible and supportively as possible but um I'm in I'm I'm incorrigible like the minute I'm in a meeting I'm kind of like or, or any of those situations, I'm, uh, I am, uh, you know, uh, having all sorts of impulses towards facilitating what's happening, um, and not even, uh, not even agended. I wouldn't say it's just like, I see where we're talking past one another. Yeah. Um, I, I think I see where there's something that's actually converging, but no one has acknowledged it, mm-hmm. or. I see what we're tr- what our actual goal is, and I see where we've kind of gotten off track, and ultimately how much longer is useful in the getting off track, and is that actually and and if if what we're doing is wandering and brainstorming and and exploring ideas, then that's exactly what we should be doing. And mm-hmm. um, in, in, in I and what's funny is is that I'm not I'm often doing that, and I'm not actually contributing to the actual brainstorming, right? Because <laughs> I'm like. Um, observing and listening and, and trying to think about what structure um, will help us to best or what question th- that we need to come up with that will best guide what happens next mm-hmm. um, or, or help us come to a sort of shared understanding. And, and it was, in, you know, I mean, ultimately that feels dramaturgical yeah. and that's kind of, that was one of the, the major things that I talked about in this, um, this speech at Emily Carr last weekend was about uh, the value of asking questions and how to ask valuable questions. Mm. And I talked about, you know, the value, you know, the, uh, the title, which I'm not, I wasn't particularly happy with actually, of course, after, after I did it, I didn't like the title. Um, but, uh, you know, it was about asking the most vital and difficult questions in the creative and planning process. Mm-hmm. Um, and the speech was about my experience 
of asking questions. So, you know, I try I, I tried very hard not to use you mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. statements um, because I, I feel like there's so many different there's so many different ways and contexts. But I, I talked about um, in particular, you know, an early an early experience I had as a dramaturg watching uh, two people who had been working together for a very long time talk past each other about a script and um, argue about things but never quite get to uh, actually talking about the other person's point of view or asking the other person you know why they had where they had come up with uh, that particular decision or what even what had resonated to them about the about the play or the piece we were working on to begin with and and having and you know I assumed all sorts of things I assumed that they must have had that conversation I assumed mm. that as a lowly you know junior dramaturg I shouldn't ask a question that seems so obvious as to so what is the play about Mm -hmm. for all of us you know what I mean like so that which would have revealed that there was actually a divergent opinion and that's okay but but it's okay to have different different opinions but if if nobody understands one another there's always going to be a, a rather in my opinion there's always going to be a rather um unresolved and and unuseful conflict in the room it's mm -hmm. not constructive that conflict and um and watching that and then seeing what came out of it and seeing them just seeing the, these two artists discover um, like on pre first preview, that w what they each thought the play was about, and that would explain why the play didn't didn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> why why it really wasn't going over with the audience, and why no one knew what it was. Right. Um, because they didn't, they never had that conversation. So they were working at entirely cross purposes. But also, kind of, as they assumed that the the other one knew. They assume that the mm -hmm. other one must just understand or, I guess, be able to read each other's minds. And all of these sort of basic things that, that um, one skips ahead, especially, to, especially when one thinks they know what's, what's going on. Yeah. They think they know the given circumstances, right? And so I talked a bit about that, and then I talked about the value of um, asking that kind of big question in my creative dramaturgical work and why I always sort of start with certain questions about, you know, what is the play about for you, and and why did you why did you write this play? Um, and I always start with those questions, and uh, and I start with those questions for a reason. And it's not because I don't understand the play, or I mm -hmm. don't think I don't think I have an answer, but it, because I feel like I we need that we need that that um, we need to know where the beginning point was, and where we and where the end point is. It's a lot of ways to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. But um, whenever we get lo a bit lost, it's good to have those points of reference and um, and those uh, what I consider to be you know bright uh, bright stars on the horizon that you can sort of look to that guide you. And I think you know. So I talked about a, a particular experience I had working on a play um, where the answers to those questions were really scary for the writer. Right. Um, and this is a writer who's a pretty brave, bold writer, but where the answers were really scary. Um, but, and that was why they were stuck, a bit stuck, because it was frightening to grapple with what they were trying to say and why they wrote the play. And in order for them to move forward, we really had to acknowledge that and acknowledge the value and power of the answer that they gave, not, not just what was scary about it or what could be misinterpreted about it or what, you know, but also that, that there was some great courageous value in those things 
um, in order to sort of keep us keep us focused. And you know, especially when the answer when there's really large ideas or large emotions at work, um, n- acknowledging them so that mm-hmm. we can work with them um, in a way that's constructive, not in a way that avoids them. And mm-hmm. and finally, the you know the third sort of um, the third third part of the the speech that I talked about was, you know, ATP's recent transition out of our Enbridge Playwrights Festival into this new format um, uh, of producing pl- new plays in our season. And, um, you know, the company struggling a bit mm-hmm. and everybody knowing why the company was struggling a bit, um, the festival, but recognizing that the answer to that question was very scary for us to contemplate right. for a range of different reasons. And, and having to go back to why did the company start and what are we here for? Like, what, what are, mm-hmm. why do we exist? Like, going even deeper into, into questions um, that are pretty existential and how that, how that helped us discover, you know, how to move ahead. But if we wouldn't have asked that question, we would have just come up with some other, you know, some other, other model or some other structure or or would have acknowledged it as a loss rather than an evolution, right. which is what it actually was. And, um, and that it's scary, it's scary, you know, scary for individuals, it's scary for artists, and it's scary for organizations to a- a- ask a question and, and, and have the answer be quite scary and then to figure out how to, how to keep going. Like, mm-hmm. we're, you know, it's not just about what next. Um, it's about, you know, why do we do this? And why did we start this? And that's the only way that we found um, we were able to move forward. So, you know, and, and the ad, I was, you know, was at the, the final part of the speech was about um, how to ask, how to ask good questions. And, and, f- you know, all I could do, of course, was speak to my experience. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I don't have a PhD in question asking. Um, there is a Caleb. <laughs> they must be. I'm they sure must they be. I'm, sure, I'm sure every department would say uh, that's what we are. We offer that. I'm we, sure I'll get a, I'm sure I'll get a lot of emails offering me um, yeah, scholarships to take a, yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, and, and what I said was, you know, ultimately, we can't take for granted um, that the question why and a lot of, a lot of, you know, big and difficult questions um, require a level of courage. Um, they 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 require a level of courage and vulnerability to receive. And as a result, those of us that ask those questions have to bring a level of respect and um, compassion and vulnerability ourselves in asking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we don't often think that. And, you know, I also talked about that, 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 you know, that thing where you ask a question that is actually just a judgment in the form of a question. Right. Why right. did you put that stinky part of the play in? Well, they're just like, who thought, so who, come, who came up with that idea? Right. Um, or why would you do that? Like, that's not a, <laughs> those are questions. Um, yeah. But, you know, in their tone or in their phrasing, you know, why would anyone answer that question? You know what I mean? Like, immediately you're defensive because it's like, well, I came up with that idea. What's wrong with it? Um, as opposed to, well, I, I came up with that idea for these reasons. Um, I'm not sure whether they're working. Can you help me? Like, why would right. anyone, you know, that, that's not, again, not constructive, not constructive question asking. And, um, and of course, when I said, you know, I said the bit about 
judgment in the form of a question. Um, everyone laughed quite a bit because everybody recognizes yeah. that they've done that and that they've received it, quite frankly. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I just talked about the few things that I think about when I ask questions now, which are, you know, if I, how do I, is, do I have enough time to actually hear the answer? No matter, like, cause, and recognize right. that the answer may not be what I'm expecting. Do I actually have the time and energy uh, and openness and flexibility to really hear it? And if I don't, I should set up some time in the next couple of days or next month or something to actually ask the question, like set aside time for it. Mm. Um, and, you know, s there's always a bit of time a few minutes from now when you're going to be prepared to actually hear an answer. Um, and I feel like uh, I always think about that. And I always think about, I, I will often now um, just straight up say why I'm going to ask a question, mm -hmm. state an intention, because quite big question, asking big and difficult, like vital and difficult questions requires time and trust, which are two of the most uh, rare mm -hmm. commodities on earth. Yeah. So to me, um, when I ask a question, I'll often say, um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want to ask you this question because uh, it's really valuable for me to know why you started writing the play, so that um, I have a sense of of what your what what your starting place was and how we can sort of move on to the the next couple steps and and see where where those things appear in in the script. Because you know I have my own my own thoughts about about where it might have come from, but I really need to hear from you so I can help support your journey with it. Um, as opposed to saying, why did you write this play? Yeah. Because if I just yeah. if I sit down and no matter no matter how I um, no matter how I state that question, um, <laughs> what kind of smile I have on my face, um, why did you write this play? Can be received all sorts of different ways, and so I'll sometimes just be straight up about I, I'm going to ask you this question um, because it's going to be helpful to me in mm -hmm. these ways to hear the answer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're helping yeah. me and, and also rec you know, recognizing that in terms of time, not only do you need the time to receive the answer, but also recognizing that, you know, people may need time to, uh, consider their answer and mm -hmm. inevitably the answer may lead to more questions and, uh, there's, uh, you know, and, and that there's a sort of endless number of questions that you can ask. And so, to think that that things are going to get solved, or that you won't, that that you don't have to, that, you know, once you ask the question once, you won't have to ask it again. I mean, it, it's it's something that is um, a, a longer journey mm -hmm. than a lot of people, I think, consider. And those are some of the things that I've I've learned in my time spending a lot of time asking questions, both organizationally and in my creative work, in mm -hmm. my theater work. And it was interesting because I, you know, I, I, again, it's one of those things where I, I take for granted that that's what I do and that's the way I think about things. And, um, and that I, you know, just like my 250 word bio, I kind of go, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I think. And, and this is me. Um, but there's, when you're, a, when you're talking about that experience or offering even something, um, something that seems that simple, it, it reveals something for other people. And that was my experience of doing that speech was, um, you know, I think to myself, well, how can my, like, 
you know, this is, this is what I do. And again, I don't, I'm not a question asking expert, but this has been my experience. And to have, um, to have the, have such uh, attentive listening mm -hmm. from a large, a large group of people, like uh, 170 or something faculty and staff from okay. Emily Carr, um, uh, on their first day back for the new school yeah. year. Um, and I was the first person they heard before they, I mean, the president introduced um, the VP enrollment student services who introduced me. And then they were coming back around to a bunch of information that they were going to hear and questions they were going to be able to ask. Um, so, I, I mean, I was one of the first things to start their year. And, um, and you know, I had to bring a, a certain level of confidence that my experience was useful mm -hmm. um, in some way. And then it was really, it's always really valuable and, um, and very uh, heartening to have people respond by listening so carefully and receiving it and, um, and having a lot of really great feedback uh, from the faculty and staff that were there um, who came up to me afterwards or found me while I was like eating a donut on Granville Island and that kind of thing a little while later. Right. Um, uh, just tell me how, how much they appreciated it and, and to hear from my colleague who had invited me um, that, you know, some of them had talked about, you know, introducing some of those ideas into some of their criticism classes and that kind of thing. So it was, nice. it was great to know that what I have developed in terms of, you know, whether I knew I was developing a, a style or a series of insights about anything or not through um, the experiences I've had, to hear, to have people um, respond so positively and, and hear that even those insights gained from that experience helped people think about something in a different way um, was really valuable and, 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 and exciting. And mm -hmm. it, it, um, it reminds me that as self-deprecating uh, or, um, you know, uh, just behind the scenes that my work often is, that, um, that the, the dramaturgical way of viewing the world and, and, um, and appro approaching my work both as an arts administrator and as a dramaturg um, reveals something for people, um, reveals something for visual artists and new media artists and, mm -hmm. uh, and people who are, are teaching. Um, so it was really, it was exciting. It was really exciting to be reminded of the value of that um, and exciting to put, it's always interesting to me when I get to, when somebody asks me how I do what I do or what I do, mm -hmm. the opportunity to articulate it. Because, you know, if I can, I mean, I ask those questions all the time and I said this a couple times in this, in the speech, I was like, um, you know, if, if I dish that kind of, less, of that line of questioning out all the time, I should be able to take it. Um, and so to have the opportunity to respond and articulate mm -hmm. something um, is exciting and clarifying in a way that I find really exhilarating and reminds me of what, what I hope to do for the people mm -hmm. who I ask questions of. Yeah. Yeah, so, a, a plus. Um, that sounds great. I want, did, they, did they make a video? Is there going to be a video? No, there was no video. I don't think they didn't they didn't live stream it or nothing. But uh, but I have it and um, and I have and it's interesting. A few people have said, "Well, you could you could take that on the road." And I said, "Yeah, I guess I could because it, it was it wasn't specifically geared towards anything particular that Emily Carr's going through. Although they're going through a fascinating transition and 
um, it's all you know it's all quite public, so it's not. But they're building a new campus, right, um, on Great Northern Way, and it's you know they're they're starting. Um, you know that it's things are being cleared away, and they're uh, starting the actual building of it in the next you know like February, I believe. Um, they start building things there, and uh, and it's supposed to be done by 2017, and they're close to their fundraising goal, but not quite finished with it. And this is, it's, they're undergoing a, a major transition as a, as a community. Um, and they've been on Granville Island for so many years. Yeah. And to hear some of the really great questions, um, that, cause I got to sit in on the rest of the meeting and hear their president, uh, Dr. Ron Burnett speak about the new campus and about what's, you know, what's happening in post-secondary, um, education and, and particularly post-secondary arts education and how they, you know, how they want to respond to it. And it was really uh, interesting to hear, hear him speak and hear the questions that were, were asked of him about the new campus. And, and they, you know, they did a huge consultation, um, huge consultation rounds of, of, from all of the faculty and staff about the new campus. But of course, you know, you can't please everyone. And, yeah. and so to, to have the opportunity to speak and then, have the opportunity to watch a particular community um, uh, engage with what is going to be a huge shift in their culture um, was exciting and informative and really cool to get a chance to witness um, because it's uh, it's it's big for them and uh, Granville Island is also such a particular sort of place yeah <laughs> um, and for them to move uh, move on to something that is um, shiny and new and, um, and, uh, in an entirely different part of town. Um, but big, <laughs> yeah. uh, will be a, a huge, a huge shift. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't wait, I can't wait now to go back to the, to go back and check out the new campus when it's done. And, um, and also sort of to, to hopefully have a chance to reconnect with that community once that's done and sort of see how that transition's going. Cause they seem to be doing everything they can to, um, to make that transition as as positive and valuable for everyone as they can, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. So the ability to um, ask questions that will bring them all forward together, which is what I was advocating for, yeah. um, and not rush to judgment, um, is <laughs> I think is is I hope something that'll be really valuable valuable for them as they make such a massive organizational change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, like a thing that I'd love to hear. And, and, and a lot of, I mean, to think about this sort of dramaturgical framework, I mean, I talk a lot about better questions, mm -hmm. which I got from Kugler, D.D. Kugler, mm -hmm. who's yeah. a professor at SFU and dramaturg mentor to millions uh, because of being not only very, very smart, but incredibly generous with that smartness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And he, and that was a thing that on the, I think opening night of we, I was in uh, a production he was directing at SFU and on opening night, you know, to try to get us students to not just be wacky uh, during the run <laughs> in part, I think, but also as a valuable lesson, uh, said like, we haven't, we haven't answered this play, but we've got better questions. 
And mm-hmm. now, and now we're going into a next stage of the play where we perform it and we'll have even better questions at the end of that mm. if we keep working on it. And so that the goal of working on something is, is not to, to find the answers, but to find better questions. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that I think in, in lots of, uh, environments and places of working, um, is incredibly valuable and sought after at the moment. The the idea of question finding and and being on the hunt for the right questions and yeah, people and coming up and that and that being a thing that is also like incredibly human. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this thing that is not doable by data, right? It's data can tell you some like oh you might want to be asking some questions over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is pretty good at surfacing those kind of questions. Yeah. But there's still this thing of how do you, how do we, and how do you get groups of people to continually ask better questions about the type of work they're doing, whatever yeah. that is. And how that, how those questions inspire, inspire answers, even if the answers are evolving. Yeah. Because the, the asking of a question should inspire an answer. It should yeah. just demand one. Yeah. And I feel that pretty strongly. And, and yeah, I mean, my speech, my speech about questions and all of my learning about questions stands on the, on the shoulders of um, all of my teachers and, and everything I've learned about dramaturgy. But, but how, the, how those things inspire, inspire um, someone to, to answer the question. Um, you know, and that's one of the things I said about in the speech about phrasing. You know, when you think about the phrasing of a question... Think about how it will inspire an answer, not how it will shut down conversation. Yeah. But how will it? Ins- how can you inspire an answer out of the other person? Um, <laughs> this is proving that you were right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the the thing is, uh, you know, the also the, the question of power too is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, we, for many years, and maybe it is shifting, and I, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we. And we sort of uh, give status to the person who has the answers. Oh, yeah. Or the person who is in charge is supposed to have the answers. They're not supposed to have the questions. They're supposed to have the answers. Yeah. Um, but there's a remarkable amount of power, which is main, which was one of the major focuses of my um, speech. Uh, the, there's an immense amount of power, um, sometimes acknowledged but often not, in being the person who's asking the questions. Um, and, and sometimes more power and it's a power that has to be very carefully wielded. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, who's, you know, in the hierarchy of, of questions and answers, um, in a lot of, there's different contexts. I mean, some places, you know, the, the people who are questioning have a fair amount of, like quite a bit of power, you know, legal circles and those kind of things. But the people who have answers, you know, in, in other places, like in theory, in in politics mm-hmm. um we're looking for answers from those people um or it seems like we're looking for answers from those people so just as we think about and and even even you know a teacher student um a faculty student relationship mm-hmm. the faculty have the answers or at least that's the yeah. way it's always been set up right yeah. um so the faculty having you know, and if they ask a question of a student, there's a, a power dynamic there too, right? right? 
So in that case, they just hold the power. Um, so how do you, you know, how do you inspire both a good question or a good answer or, or not good, good is so, I shouldn't, it's a value judgment, but how do you inspire, inspire an answer or a good question out of somebody who has less power? Mm-hmm. Um, and good is only a, a power, uh, a judgment if we assume we have to agree on its definition. Yeah, exactly. Right, like, I, uh, I mean, good for them, good for the thing, good for, good for yeah. the thing that we have agreed is good. Yeah, uh, good for society. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the, yeah, even what is our, what is our definition of good? Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's it. I, I think a lot of artistic collaborations would fall apart. Uh, or, I mean, especially in the theater where we put people together in a more corporate sense. Um, mm. in terms of we just hire bit, we hire people for tasks um, and not for relationships sometimes um, mm. like people come in and they fulfill a specific role and it's not not just saying like oh I want you in the room and, and the mm-hmm. the dynamic the things that you can do or based on who you are as a person in relationship yeah. to all the other people who work here. One of the greatest gifts I was ever given was, um, uh, you know, my job at ATP for mm-hmm. many, many reasons. But one of the reasons was that um, as I grew up as a dramaturg, I never, I never had to justify my place in the room. I was allowed to be there mm-hmm. um, and I was allowed to ask questions, even if I was a bit shy about it. I never, I never felt like I had to um, prove why I was there or that I was only there to, I was only there to watch other people who knew what they were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I was always very much involved and invited into the conversation. And I think, I think, you know, I, I feel like we still aspire to and continue to create that environment at ATP. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I feel really fortunate that I never felt, I never felt any, um, you know, the hierar- there were hierarchies for sure, but I didn't feel like I was entirely on the outside of them. And, um, and I feel really fortunate because I know that that's not the case in many different situations, which is what leads to, uh, you, know, you know, particularly with dramaturgs, but I think with a lot of other, you know, people who are in different roles in the, in the theater, that feeling of, um, of feeling... On the like, definitely feeling on the outsider, or not necessarily having uh, much of a place in the room to contribute, or feeling like there's not a lot of places to contribute in the room. Yeah. So everyone, everyone wants to. If you're in a room, you want to contribute. You want to feel useful, right? And um, and I always find it really frustrating when I look around a room and it seems like somebody doesn't quite know their role or their value, or, or is given a role or a value that they're not allowed to actually inhabit. Yeah. And um, and I try to. Uh, or, or that you know, there isn't a mechanism sort of set up for, for people to to offer, um, mm-hmm. and that's frustrating. And, and you know, one can't control every room, but, and you know, I'm I, I recognize all the time that it's an ongoing process for me to try to recognize that and and see how I can engage or in, or um, uh, empower someone mm-hmm. to to have something or set up a room where that exists. Um, and, uh, yeah, I try to hold myself to a pretty high standard with varying degrees of success with that. But it's something I think about a lot. 
Yeah, I think the question, the how to work and how how the how affects the outcome is is huge. And I'm thinking a lot in talking about in, in listening to you about the like it is still one of the privileges of the rehearsal room is the is the space to think about these questions. Mm. That that sense of justifying ourselves, we do it through a different mechanism, <laughs> different mechanisms, but aren't so driven by the by profit at some level. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a thing to try to find a way to articulate what you know why that person, why these people all need to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some faith or there's some interest in belief in it uh, mm-hmm. and value in it and that, that value is in part these better questions yeah. have, have you noticed I was thinking early when you talked about being the person in the meeting who asks questions or does that have you noticed that shift in like being an executive director versus being a dramaturg, like a question coming from the executive director is a different thing than a question coming from the dramaturg. Yes, it is different. <laughs> um, and it, and it, it sometimes I feel weird. It, like it's weird um, it, because, and, and that's why I rely even more on, you know, stating the intention of the question mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. than I used to even. Yeah. Because I can't assume, I can't assume that, you know, even if I'm aware that I'm not asking the question, a, a judgment in the form of a question, um, sometimes it just appears that way yeah. because of status things. Um, and, or an idea seems like a direction when it's just an idea. Um, and it's interesting because I know that, uh, and also the expect, the, uh, cer- people have certain expectations about m- what I will come up with or not come up with or what, right. like what, what, what questions it's my job to answer, mm-hmm. um, not my job to send them back with a question about how they could give me, you know, like, okay, so how do we, okay, so you, you want that, we want to get that done. Um, and instead of, you know, and I think sometimes I'm, I'm expected to know the answer to how we are going to do it, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to asking a question about, well, what are, does anyone, what, what are some other ways that have, that this has been achieved in other places? Mm-hmm. Can somebody tell me, um, yeah. uh, you know, because I, you know, I think in, a, in some, in some ways I feel like I carry a certain weight in, in terms of feeling like, um, so we need to do this. Who's you know who's going to do who who's going to do this or we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's figure out a plan for how to do this, mm-hmm. and then everyone assumes uh, I'm going to figure out. I'm going to go away and figure out the plan and tell everyone how to do it. Right. Um, and then nobody likes that either uh, right. because you know nobody likes to be told what to do. But nobody necessarily. But whose whose responsibility is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, what I like to do is sort of work with people to come up with solutions and um and there's sometimes when people are really into that sometimes they're not (laughs) right they just assume i I come back and say this is how we're doing it and then they ask me a series of questions that basically shoot my idea down um but that's okay because i'm the executive director so i can't feel anything about that so it's a funny it's really funny 
um, situation, but it is much, it is different than, than dramaturgy, but the, the level of, um, the stakes are always high. Like, uh, uh, the stakes for a playwright or the stakes for a group of creators when they're creating something, um, are very high. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I would joke sometimes about how dramaturgy is, um, is, you know, primarily managing other people's fear. Absolutely. And I think um, I've stolen that for facilitation. I mean, I think that's, oh, there you go. I think well, I've said that. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, and I've probably even said it before yeah. on this podcast, but, um, and, and this, it's the same with the, with organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody wants this to succeed and they want to make sure that somebody is ensuring its success. And so there's moments when stating a definitive answer is how, how people feel. In some ways, some people will respond to um, people who state a definitive answer about how something's going forward um, as appearing that that person is, you know, in charge and knows what they're doing. Some people don't necessarily, regardless of how well the question is phrased, um, it may not be comforting, um, mm-hmm. to ask somebody another question after, <laughs> or, or say, that's a really interesting question and I need a couple of days to think about it as opposed to, yes, yeah. I know exactly how we're going to do that. So yeah. it's, there's, the stakes feel high in the, in w- whether I was in a creative process or in an executive director as the executive director, but in the creative process, I didn't have, I did, wasn't in a decision-making, per, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't in a decision-making position, right? So I asked questions, I even sometimes made offers, knowing that, and always having stated early on, I don't make any of the decisions. Like the director and the playwright make the decisions, the, the creators in the room make the decisions, I help recognize patterns, um, I, I acknowledge what I'm seeing in the piece or I'm, what I'm seeing emerge and reflecting it back. I'm asking questions sometimes to help come up with, um, possibilities for where the piece could go next, um, in conjunction with what the overall goal was. Um, there's all sorts of things I'm doing there, but I'm not actually going into the, I'm not actually going into, you know, the word document or, or setting out the choreography. You know, I'm, I'm, asking the question but however as executive director i am directing yep um and executively. i i executively direct I, I mean and and i'm leading the or you know vanessa leads the artistic vision and i lead the organizational vision of the company so um i can apply all sorts of dramaturgical principles but whether it's a direction that we've come up with as a result of me asking quite a few mm-hmm. questions, um, or whether it's a direction that, that we come up with because um, it's been placed in my hands to sort of synthesize all the information around me and state a direction, one way or the other, I'm leading that direction. And I'm, I'm the one who has to articulate that direction more often than not, and be the person who's ensuring that the plan is placed and the resources are in place to do it. And sometimes questioning whether we have the resources to do it and making alternate plans or, or, or ditching an idea that, that, you know, people might think is a, a good one because we just can't possibly achieve it, which doesn't, you know, which ultimately mm-hmm. is valuable for everyone, but is sometimes not very popular. So 
it's yeah, it's it is a different thing, and and the the quality the the there's high stakes everywhere, but the quality the question of the quality of my response to it is is much different than it was, and um, and it's that's why I say you know I aspire to and I try to, but it, mm-hmm. I, I hold I'm I'm holding a lot more in my mind. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and I think and, the, that context matters, you know, to think you know, that something could get approached where that was less true, right? That, and I think at ATP, it's probably less true than in lots of places where that function in a much more Mm top-down authoritarian manner. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you could get to somewhere, but, you know, I'm not, yeah, I've never been against certain levels of hierarchy. And, and as long as there's, movement in that and those mm-hmm. people aren't aren't treating people like they're not equal human beings like that's the like i'm fine if my role on something is different um above yeah. or below at some levels you know I'm, i i like i like jumping on someone else's bandwagon for a while mm-hmm. you know that's um so it's not yeah. necessarily about that but it is about trying to find some way that that when that in power, even if in these roles of power that need to be acknowledged, there is still the openness to be questioning. Did you listen to the have the John Roderick, the Roderick on the Line podcast? I want to I like do a blog post for like all the people in my life who I know won't, or I don't know, they won't listen to the, all of Roderick on the Line. But I feel like it's a specific show uh but the series of him running and then running for city council Mm -hmm. and the other podcast that he's on while he's running for city council is such an amazing arc Mm -hmm. and now it's still amazing and interesting and you know occasionally a little heartbreaking Mm -hmm. he lost Mm -hmm. um and and so now Roderick I should have volunteered for him, like I that said. That one I day that would have changed everything. Um, is yeah, yeah, processing what it meant to have done that. Yeah, uh, this thing that was in some ways against his character, um, or against parts of his character. And but he talks amazingly about this pressure to know the answer. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like, and I'm, and just before you were talking about Roderick on the line, I was just thinking about that whole thing about you know where I sit right now and how how much uh, how much I realize now. And I, I said it in the speech, and I, I I really understand it better now. Is how how much vulnerability and courage it takes to receive a question. And because as yeah. a as the leader of the organization, um, I and and flexibility and grace and, and yeah. I, there's a there's one thing it's a it's an HR thing it's a funny thing um, that at ATP that is that we're always trying to improve we're always trying to improve and it's around you know the fact that people work evenings and weekends and ATP offers up you know like uh, flex days and we have all we all have all this stuff. But we have people who work in such vastly different ways in the organization that it's this constantly evolving 
question of whether or not it works or doesn't work or mm -hmm. you know is it is it not is it not good enough is it is it is it too generous like this constant question and um and i've received feedback that um whenever we talk about it my no matter how much i feel in my heart of hearts right that i am responding to the questions about it and, and again it's always it's always it because it's a hard it's the hardest question it always falls to me like no one else is coming up with other ideas right. and i'm finding that a bit frustrating but it always falls to me and i get why i totally get why but it, it's um it's very stressful because it's about it's about fairness and it's about mm -hmm. um acknowledging people and it's about um but it's also it, it's really it's a hard question, but it always falls to me, and and I've been given feedback that every time I talk about it, no matter how much I'm aware, like deeply aware, of how stressful I find it, I am often told that I sound defensive when I'm responding to questions or when I'm stating, you know, how we're thinking about them or mm -hmm. or interpreting how we're thinking about them. Uh, and I, I imagine myself to be a very, um, a person who can, who can ask difficult questions and who has grappled with difficult questions and um, who can respond in a way that's very, you know, um, open and, and thoughtful and flexible and stuff like that, you know, even if it's still human. But um, I apparently, every time I talk about these things, no matter how much I gear up for, you know, like I could meditate for like, two days before I talk about it, but I still would apparently sound like, right. well, this is what we're doing. Okay. Or whatever. Like, I right. don't know how I sound to people, but, um, I, I'm, I'm finally going to ask that somebody else in the organization, um, talk about it at the next staff meeting. Right. Right. Cause I don't know what to do at this point. Um, I don't know how to ask the question in as peaceful and inspiring a way as possible or I don't know how to right, right. so it's things like that that I find that that kind of wear me down because I, I realize the you know now that more difficult questions are being asked of me mm -hmm. how do I deal how do I maintain the openness and um and thoughtfulness to be able to actually be ready to respond and um and that's that's been an interesting journey because, again, I'm not the only one asking the questions anymore. Now people right, are asking right. me questions, yeah, yeah. and often questions, judgments in the form of a question, um, but sometimes actual, but often actual questions. And so, um, I, I now get up every day, sort of thinking about how to find everything I need to ask questions. Mm -hmm. But I also wake up every day, having trying to find what I need. To be able to spend the whole day answering questions, yeah, yeah which yeah, is a yeah. that's another shift. Um, that's another shift in the in the perspective on on questions that I have realized recently, and that I have a new, profound understanding of um, being in this particular position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's all. Kerplunk, I want to put a sound effect. Kerplunk. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it all is true, and, and they're hard and good questions. Listening costs, man. Listening oh, yeah. costs. And, 
and and uh, thinking and responding and and um it's yeah man yeah dude uh dude, dude it totally does uh but it's true and and not another hearing thing, and not hearing that you know for me it's a the the just desperately trying to remember that it might be the first time someone asked that question yeah um yeah. and to not respond it to it like it's the 800th time you've answered it and are now like i i have these very quick and like not really what's going on response of like why don't you trust me like and that's you know about a question that is yeah not even a criticism is a Hmm. maybe a because also questions are often like oh you're not asking about this like or the thing you're worried about you're not worried right now about like where the chairs are going to be laid out this is not what we're talking about we're talking about usually something bigger Mm -hmm. and it's getting expressed in this and how to meet that on a helpful and open level um, because the thing that's being asked is an important thing. It is, and that's the you know all these questions around this particular HR thing is is it's really important, and that's why I I I, I don't want to be interpreted as as anything other than it receiving in any other way than I actually am, which is that I really want to try to figure it out. But you know, and again, you know, I I speak in the speech, you know, about recognizing that a question will lead to more questions. And, um, and that it may take time to consider the answers and all those sort of things. And, um, and I know that for myself and I know that, that this is an, this is an ongoing question. This mm-hmm. is going to keep needing to be asked and stuff like that, which is why, um, I don't expect that. I don't, I don't expect that given that, uh, there's always been questions and always been conversation that I don't expect that this will ever entirely be solved. Right. right. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop working on it. Um, and I don't, and I, I want to try to understand what it is about the way that I speak about it that is received in a certain way, mm-hmm. because I don't want to stop talking about it and it's my job to keep stop talking about it. So I, I feel like sitting on the outside of it for a bit might be a really valuable yeah. thing for me. And I, I think that's the way that I'm going to approach, um, the next challenge with the, or the, you know, the challenge of this is like, I need to sit outside of it a bit. Um, rather than be directly inside of it, so that I, I might be able to see, I might be able to see more clearly what people are are, are asking, mm-hmm. and I might be able to see more clearly where things are, um, where we're talking past each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't uh, from where I'm. I can't right. from where I'm sitting right now. Obviously, apparently. Right. So that's what I'm going to do. And I had to, you know, I had to think about that and kind of go. It, something clearly something about this exchange and this particular um, way of, of dealing with planning and, and, and a particular challenge is um, is not is not quite resulting in the success mm-hmm. that it needs to. So you know, what are the alternate ways that I need to that I might need to take a look at it? And the outside is definitely the first one I'm going to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the listening. The getting better at listening, I think, is is so much of the primary work of leading, right? That mm-hmm. it's of of holding positions where leadership is is assumed. Yeah. Um, 
and is given, right? That leadership, uh, Jerry McGrath, who's my, my boss, he hates it when I say that though. Uh, <laughs> he's that kind of boss. Uh, he, um, I don't forget who said it to him, but he was at a meeting where somebody said, leadership is a gift the community gives itself. Mm. Um, and like, it's a, it's a given thing. It's not a taken thing. Yeah. Um, or it can't like when it's functioning well. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, and that's, and that's hard and it's hard to be in those spaces and it takes a huge amount of energy. Yeah. I'm reading, a, I'm, I've just started reading a book and I don't know whether I'm going to want to talk about it when I'm done it or not, but okay. it's interesting and it was recommended to me and I don't usually read these kind of books, yeah. the kind of books that you find in the business section yeah. that are about, you know, yeah. thinking about ways you do stuff, yeah. books, right? Yeah. Which, um, which book are you reading? I'm reading Give and Take by Adam Grant. Okay. I don't know it. I have well, other names of books. But I'm, I'm sure. I'm, yeah. So this book was recommended to me by, um, recommended to me by a former board member at ATP who's uh, extremely thoughtful woman and a, a really great writer. And um, say and the name again. Give and take. Give and take. Adam Grant is who wrote it, and it's about um, it's about the about people who in organizational ecologies and also just you know in life, but certainly in organizational and business ecologies that um, give away a lot of mm. expertise mm -hmm. and time. And people who that there's givers and takers and matchers, you know, to right. to you know do one of those things that one some sometimes has to do to oversimplify something. Yeah. Um, and people take on varying characteristics of those things, but um, that giver that the the we often think that takers <laughs> are the ones who succeed, um, are mo are most positioned for success um, because you know, they, they look out for number one and they take more mm. than they give and you know, they're, they're, you know, leading on the resource chain kind of, right. but, um, the, but his study has shown that, that people who give, um, have, uh, longer, uh, a better chance of, of success over the long term and why. So I've just started reading this book and it's really interesting because it's, um, you know, when I, I sort of made that comment earlier about the status and power challenges that dramaturgs have, mm -hmm. which is a whole, we could do a whole other podcast on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, uh, you know, it was because this, um, this friend of mine, uh, Carrie Penny is her name who recommended this book knows, has learned quite a bit about dramaturgy from me and, mm -hmm. and knows me pretty well. She recognized something of the ten of those tendencies in, in the book. Uh, with me, um, sort of made that connection and, and suggested I read it. And, um, you know, I'm a couple of chapters in and I'm really intrigued by it. But it's about the, you know, giving more energy than one is taking. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes, you know, feel like I am saying yes to everything. And I, I always have for mm -hmm. as long as I know. But, um, and, and, you know, being warned or having some people sometimes um, say to me that, you know, I should be careful because I may not have anything left for myself and I have to be very mm -hmm. cautious and stuff like that. And, and, and recognizing the interesting balance of what it feeds me to have to offer up time or offer up expertise um, 
and and how that's contributed to if I've had any success, um, some of that success. Um, but also recognizing the the desire to make sure that I I, I am saving some energy for myself. Yeah. So it, that balance is interesting. But but this perspective on on um, you know, success or, and, and part of that's reputational success, um, of somebody who is, uh, who's giving a lot, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, is pretty interesting. So, uh, I'll let you know what I think of it Yeah. When next, when next we speak. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, I mean, those, the organizational stuff I got in sort of through the reading facilitation and conference stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done certainly more of it than 10 years ago I would have expected myself to have. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of, I think it's, you know, another topic can be like, why don't we read these more in the arts and talk about how we can ditch the parts of the language that we don't like, or, you know, when they say value, we hear money, um, mm-hmm. and maybe we could pretend that word meant something else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, joy, beauty, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that, I think there's often wisdom in those things. I think they, it's, yes, it's easier to sell an idea if it's been turned into a fairly large metaphor. Yeah, and then on the on the but other we shouldn't side of, beat like we're in the business of metaphor. Like we shouldn't be beating other are. people up for their metaphors. Like and I to mean, acknowledge, like oh, that's a metaphor for how things is. They're not claiming that that is that literally like in the birth canal, like somebody gets stamped. Yeah, give or take or matcher, and no, that and that's by no means what he's saying. No, but it's but the yeah the way that we receive those things, and also you know I mean I. I just last weekend or last on this this past Monday I was I was at a I was at a major university giving a speech about dramaturgy um as a structure you know that might inform the way they think about their own organizational or creative work Absolutely you know? I mean I and think so we're the, we're bordering on it today is is the my like nightmare that I will create because I think it's a good idea and, and that we could do it together uh like that dramaturgy as a term in the same way that it caught on in the arts, uh, could catch on in organizational. Yeah, absolutely. Things. And I, as a matter of fact, I've had a couple of a couple of people that I've talked to here, including um, the lovely Carrie Penny that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier, who um, uh, was a part is a partner in a, a creative firm here, who actually said to me, "You should think about actually writing a book mm-hmm. about that." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll if I had the time." Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I had the time to write a speech, which is a start, which yeah. is an outline. And so it is something, you know, we, we are, we're doing, some, we're doing that, we're doing it too. Um, and we're just not, we're just not thinking of it that way. And, um, and because we have, some, because we have an allergy to definition or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. And there's, um, there's, and, and you're talking about it in the speech, right? There's, there's a real usefulness in, and I'm facing this too, in wanting to write, um, more and and not even or maybe not to write i mean maybe that's the thing is like why 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 we old fogies so focused on the books um versus (laughs) recording speeches versus doing other ways of sharing the information Mm -hmm. um but there is a real use in articulating this 
work. Because it's work that is so often also based on into there's a lot of intuition, which is, you know, a code word for a kind of memory in some sense, a kind of taste. Mm. And that's hard to articulate and so it's necessary to spend a different kind of time to articulate it. Yeah. Like it doesn't come tripping off the tongue of of how to it's like, what do you do? It's like, ah, uh, there's this very complicated thing <laughs> <laughs> that I do very quickly or in very much in the moment, at least. A yeah. lot of, I feel like a lot of those question meeting, like meeting tone and having a sense of timing, like that's a lot of real skill and real choice making, but yeah. often done with sort of, you know, soft skills. It's not yeah. like, here's an Excel spreadsheet. Like, here's how it's hard to manualize finding good questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think design thinking, and that's what draws me to design thinking, is it does that a lot. Like, it sets up games that are attempts to find better questions at their, at their best. Yeah. You know, like the, the five whys, you know, is it such a classic... IDEO uh, to the design firm that does a lot of promoting of design thinking. Uh, there, it's just the simple, ex- you know, that exactly the thing you were talking about earlier. Like, at some levels, why did you, why does this happen? And see, you just keep asking why mm-hmm. to the first four answers you get. And by the fifth one, you're probably at something that you can work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or at least, allows for work to happen because it's suddenly acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think even the, the impulse behind, you know, I mean, to, to meta this out, man, um, the impulse behind this podcast absolutely is, is ultimately to, to explore some of that and share some of the things that we're musing about in terms of what is applicable or, or the way that we are applying, um, the way, th- this way of thinking about, about things that are happening. Um, yeah. Either in our own work or in the the you know cultural context of of Canada that uh, as we as we're in it as as so, we're in it yeah and um, yeah so it's that's what that's one of the great values and why I enjoy um, meeting with you in this way yeah. is that it's it it helps me to work through some of these and articulate mm-hmm. some of these impulses um, and so so if if our dear listening friends who have made it to this point um if they have any thoughts on this or questions or better questions for us or better questions that we can try to find better you know continue the cycle uh that would be amazing to hear from them um Mm -hmm. from people uh you can find us and comment at smallwoodenshoe.org all of the podcasts and and I'm on I'm on the Twitter at Jacob Zimmer and I'm also on the Twitter at Vicky Stroich and and the, there will be links to that at, at smallwoodenshoe.org um, let us know if, if this sits uh, and we will we will maybe we will publicly I'll, I'll ask you Vicky so you'll be stuck with whatever these these people have heard um it would be nice to find to be a bit more regular 
with our conversations. Summer is over and I'm recommitting to my podcasting life. You know what, Jacob? I'm willing to recommit. All right. <laughs> so aiming for about every two weeks. Two weeks mm-hmm. seems like a, a thing that we can, we can aim for on all Absolutely. sides. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening. Music. Bye. And.